Um, friends, do open up Bibles again. Acts chapter 2, page 1032 in the, the Bibles that are here, or if you've got a Bible app on your phone. Acts chapter 2. It's going to look at from verse 42 onwards. It's lovely to hear some pages turning. At our nine o'clock, they're, they're stubborn. So I do a traditional service at nine, and they just will not open their Bibles. Honestly, I'm like, come on. Um, they're not 10.30, they're better. Bless them. But um, the nine o'clock, I'm like, come on, give it a bit of time. They don't do it. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42 onwards. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I realized I propped this up in the last session. I didn't even point to it. So if you weren't here last night, you'll be wondering why on earth there's a Toblerone there. Um, at St. Francis, every week we tell them we have a vision to be a light on the hill for our estate. And we work it out in three ways. We talk about worshiping God, which is the upward point Growing community, which is the kind of bottom left-hand point, and then serving our estate, which is the bottom right-hand point. And it's not mine. I think it's Mike Breen or some other church leader. It talks about up, in, and out. And basically, as a church, I would um, put forward that we need to be doing all of those. We need to be looking up to Jesus. We need to be worshipping and praying and pressing into him and being transformed into his likeness. We need to be proclaiming the gospel both in word and deed, kind of, you know, so that's our serving our estate bit. But then there's also another part, which we're going to come on to in a moment. The other day, Rach, uh, my wife, was very concerned that we had somehow, amidst uh, various changes of laptops and phones, lost the videos of our daughter Tibby from when she was really little and got progressively more stressed about it that I had managed to lose them somewhere. And so it kind of meant that we kept plugging in old laptops and trying to work out where things were, were saved. And thankfully we found the videos, didn't we? Which was, which was good for, for me and, and for us. Um, that they weren't lost somewhere. But um, on one of my old laptops from... I think it must be, well, it had some files from well over 10 years ago. So before you go to vicar school and then you, they change you and you come out as a vicar, a little bit weird, um, you have to go through a long process of discernment. And uh, as part of that discernment, one of the questions I was asked was, if you end up leading a church, there's a big if there because they don't know at that point, if you end up leading a church, what would you like it to be like? And I found my answer to that question, and it, I, I put Acts 2, 42 to 47. That was what I was longing church would be like. I mean, to be honest, we could have spent, rather than reading all the passage we did in the last session, we could have sat in Acts chapter 2, 42, um, verses 42 to 47. There is so much crammed into there. There's the expectancy, there's the gathering together that we saw about last night with the Holy Spirit there. Um, 
There's signs and wonders being done. People are in awe. This is not just people getting together having fun. They're seeing the power of God outworked as there's healings and incredible miracles going on. They're also seeing people come to faith daily. And so what we were talking about earlier on, the evangelism, the kind of proclaiming of the good news about Jesus, you see that in these verses. But you also see the in point on the triangle. So we've got the up point, the out point, and the in point. Expectant, empowered. We looked at evangelism earlier, which is just the showing of the good news. We could say, if we want another E, esprit de corps, that kind of fellowship together, beautiful Christian community. Now, we need to be slightly careful because we know that, like any family, things can be difficult. And if we, one of my slight hesitancies about the Alpha videos is the session on church. Nikki preaches incredibly well. She says, it's like family, it's friendship, it's beautiful. I'm going, yeah, and sometimes we fall out and all of that stuff. So, um, you know, just Peter is standing up, he's sharing the gospel. Um, But we're not just individuals. So I think I mentioned last night, or it might have been this morning, um, we're not just kind of individuals on our own following Jesus. One of the major cultural strongholds for us is individualism. You know, myself, my profile, um, all of that sort of stuff. But God is in the business, not of just calling you as an individual. He is calling you as an individual. But he's calling you together as cornerstone. And then he's calling you as part of, you know, kind of Baptists. And then, you know, even alongside the Anglicans and the Pentecostals and the free church. But actually he's calling us together. So he's forming a people. Um, and again, as I say, I just want to kind of, if you kind of read these verses and you think, oh my goodness, we don't match up to that, either as an individual or as cornerstone, just flip on a few chapters and you find people falling out. Just read the letters to the early church, okay? I mean, there are some, if you read Corinthians, it gets a little bit spicy in that church and Jesus, you know, Paul still calls them saints. If you get to the beginning of Revelation and his letters to the churches, like, you know, it's no utopia, The church was messy. And as a a church leader of a church that has been revitalized in the last three years, there is a honeymoon period. Like, you know, this first few months, everything's amazing. We're in this new place. We're on vision. We're on mission. We're doing the stuff. And then things begin to bubble up and people fall out with each other and there are some difficulties. And then there are, you know, pastoral issues. You know, our lives are messy. You know, people get ill. People die. It's all those sorts of things going on. And so... um, it is challenging. Friends, if you've got that bit open in front of you, and it's not a, a test, we're not looking for hidden meanings, what do we see them doing? Well, I'll, I'll give you the first one, and then I'd love you just to have a look at it. So verses 42 to 47. The first one you could pick out is they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. What else do we see them doing? Just shout it out. Any other things in there? Breaking bread? Prayer? Fellowship, yeah? Selling their possessions? Meeting together? Sharing everything? Eight together? Yeah. Sincere with each other? Yeah, yeah. They. That's right. It's a danger, isn't it, of uh, churches? How are you? Oh, I'm fine. When actually, you know, your cat's just died, your kid's been bullied at school and your life's falling apart. But I'm fine. 
Um, they're sincere with one another. Yeah. They're praising God. Signs and wonders. God adding to their number. Just amazing things going on as a church. The missionary bishop, Leslie Newbigin, said this, the most powerful argument for the gospel will be a community of people who believe it and live by it. The most powerful argument for the gospel will be a community of people who believe it and live by it. Nicky Gumbel, who pioneered Alpha, he didn't actually start it, if you didn't know that. He, he took it on a few years later, but he kind of pioneered it. It says, the church is a hospital for sinners, not a home for saints. The church is a hospital for sinners, not a home for saints. And in recent years, one of the most powerful things that people have said to me about St. Francis isn't about me. Sadly, it's not about my preaching or about my singing or about the incredible social media I managed to put together. They say, Andy, um, I feel like I found home. I feel like I belong. It's such a privilege when I hear that. Um, And I'm sure, in fact, I know from chatting to, to, to many of you over the last few hours, the cornerstone is that. Cornerstone is a place you find home and belonging. For some of you, it's been over a decade, and for some of you, it may just be a year. But actually finding home here together. So let's just um, look at a few of those in things. I've got the, the up towards God and the, the out that we looked at earlier, but the in stuff. Verse 44, they had everything in common. Now, a few, high, a few things just to nuance This is not an argument for communism or socialism. I know some people make that argument. Uh, You can have that discussion later on. But this is voluntary. Okay, They're not forced to do this. This isn't about handing things over to a secular government. This was a small group of radical believers seeking to live in the way of Jesus. And of course, it begins to peter out quite quickly. But I think there is something in it that is radically countercultural. Oh my goodness, these people are having everything in common. One of the most challenging books I've listened to, I listen to books and read books um, because it means I can get through more stuff, is a book by a lady called Rosaria Butterfield and it's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And if you've never read it, it's worth reading because it it is deeply, in fact, it is so challenging that some people find it irritating because of how challenging it is. But what she basically says um, is that her story is that she came from a radically um, progressive worldview. She thought the Christ- Christian faith was just, we were a bunch of bigots and we were hateful. And, and she got to know a pastor. She wanted to kind of meet with him. And this pastor and his wife in, um, in welcomed her into their home. They had dinner together. And they just began to talk. And she came away thinking, I should have hate this guy, but I actually feel loved. And it began a kind of a, a routine of going and meeting with him. And, and gradually over time, she comes to, comes to faith in Jesus. And her life changes immeasurably. But it means now that she has this ministry of hospitality. And she lives in American South, um, where their kind of hospitality is something they do. But she says hospitality isn't when you invite people in and you hoover, you make sure you've hoovered and you've got your best cutlery out and you've made your cordon bleu food. That is not hospitality. Hospitality is when somebody has a key to your house, they can let themselves in any time, day or night, and you just serve whatever's on the table. They step over the mess that's in the middle of your living room and actually sometimes you'll cry with them at the dinner table. That's hospitality. And I know I'm like, that's, you know, that's, that's... deep but actually for her that was her experience of coming to faith 
And so they offer it. And on their street, they end up with people from all kinds of different worldviews. They have Christians come in. They have people that have just come out of prison come in. You know, they eat alongside their kids. They set aside some of their monthly food budget to make sure they've got stuff to feed more. Every day she cooks more food than they need because their neighbors will just drop in. And she has this ministry of, of hospitality and having things in common. Friends, people are longing for community. They're longing for a place to belong. And at the very, very least... Church should be a place people can do that. In the middle of our service, we have a, 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 a two, three, four-minute break where the kids go out. And I say to church, if you've been here more than two weeks, then you're on the welcome team now. Get up, turn around, and speak to somebody you don't know. And, of course, there's one or two that, that don't do it, and that's fine. But as, as a rule, church gets up, and they look around. Because I say, if you can't feel welcome in church... We're doing something wrong. This is before we even get onto the truth of the gospel, Jesus rising from the dead, the Holy Spirit falling. If you can't just feel welcome, we're doing something wrong. And, and I know that the guys that come to football uh, that my mate Dave puts on, they say they come back because they, they feel welcome. They feel like they belong. Like football for blokes, the number of blokes I spoke to in my church, and I said, you know, do you want to go to football? Oh, I'm not very good. I'm not very good. They all felt like we're a little bit rubbish. Now, I genuinely am not very good, which is why um, I went for a little bit and don't tend to go very much. But most of them are all right. They're just not kind of Sunday league stand. If you want to play Sunday league and kind of headbutt people and elbow people into the floor and break their legs, that's fine. But on a, on a Monday evening, they just kind of, you know, play for fun and people feel like they belong. And so, friends, as people are looking for community and belonging, church can be a place they can find that. Let's go on. Verse 45. They sold property and possessions to give to those in need. I know that churches are full of people that do this. And of course, because Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, we often don't hear about it. And it's simple things like lifts or washing loads when the washing machine breaks or the purchase of a fridge or you know, taking the kids down to the youth group or going and sitting with somebody when they need to go to the job centre. Or you know, there's all those sorts of things. It's not just financial. I don't want you to think it's just financial, but it's sharing in all kinds of different ways. And for Rachel and I, we experience this in an incredible way. So this year is, is our 20th anniversary. But just before we got married, um, Rachel's mum, who's not a Christian, said, Andy, where are you going to live? And I'm like, uh... God's going to sort it out. Now, I didn't quite know, but we had a sense that God was going to sort it out. And our vicar, who uh, is, a, is a great guy, he's, he, he wanted to get some people from our church to live on a small estate, uh, which was in our parish. It was in our catchment area, if you like. But nobody from this estate of about 200 flats came to St. John's Welling. And so we kind of, through kind of tears and fears, because, you know, it, it wasn't massively rough, but, you know, there were things that went off, and it was half social housing, half not, you know. Um, through, through that, we had a sense that God was saying, okay, we'd like you to go there. And so then some friends of ours said to us uh, over breakfast one morning, because we used to go swimming with them, they said, they're much older than us, they said, how would you like it if we were to lend you £50,000 so you can have a mortgage there? And we were like, what? fifty grand? Yeah, how would how we lend you that? Because at the time, we just started working in London, and we didn't have high salaries. Um, I mean, even now, we couldn't afford a shed. But, you know, back, back then, um, you know, that would in- allow us to have enough equity that thereby we could get a mortgage. The week after they offered us that, a flat come up on the estate, which was in the price range that we could afford. And we're like, okay, Lord. And, um, and Rachel's mum was pretty blown away by that, wasn't she, I think? And actually, you know, many people have. So we've been recipients of that. And over the years, we um, began to connect with the estate. Uh, you know, it wasn't always easy. Things kicked off, you know, here and there and, and, you know, all sorts of 
challenging things happened on that estate. But actually we received the radical generosity of this couple that lent us serious amounts of money. In 1 Chronicles 29, David says this, King David, he says, all things come from you and of your own do we give you. It's a prayer I pray every week at our traditional communion service, part of the Anglican liturgy, just before, just our kind of tradition, it's where you'd receive the, the collection from the congregation. And I just love that. All things come from you and of your own do we give you. Like this isn't mine, whether it be our intelligence, our time, our car, our money, our possessions, our reputation, whatever it is, it comes from him and so we give back to him. And friends, I want to encourage you as church, this is more than money, but it's not less than. I found it hard initially because most people, they start with putting change in the, in the plate and then God prompts them and it moves to notes and then maybe it moves to electronic giving or contactless we got now and then maybe it moves from to hundreds And then maybe if people's finances allow, it moves to thousands. But each extra zero requires extra faith. And this is not the prosperity gospel going, look, if you put loads of money in there, you're going to get loads back. But all things come from him and of his his own do we give back. Amazing. Verse 46 says they met together every day. Has anybody got a phone in the room? Yeah, just, just hold it up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one or two, one or two phones in the room. Do you know that um, the average person I read the other day spends three hours, 15 minutes every day on their phone? The average person checks it 58 times a day. One in five people spend upwards of 4.5 hours on their phone every day. That means the average person spends 22 hours a week, almost a full day, of no sleep sitting on our phone. And there's no condemnation, by the way, for those who are in Christ Jesus. So this is not kind of, I need to go out feeling guilty. But when I was at Vicar School, they spoke a lot about formation. It was a word I'd never heard before I went to Vicar School. And then they spoke about formation, you're being formed. And what they mean is being formed into the likeness of Jesus. That's the aim. That's the aim. That's, that's, that's kind of where we're going. But theologian Greg Beale says we become like what we worship. And of course, our worship is what we spend our time, our energy, our money on. It's the things that our hopes and our fears rely on. It's the things that make us angry if we don't have it. And I think for many of us, these things can become idols. And actually, these are shaping us far more. So let's say we're you know, really committed to church and we um, get to church every single week. So maybe an hour and a half, two hours, praying, worshipping with God's people. Let's say we're really committed and we get to a home group every week. So that might be another couple of hours. That's, that's four hours a week. Let's say we spend, you know, um, 15 minutes in prayer and worship every day. Balance that against the 22 hours a week we're spending with this. Which, which one are we more likely to become like? And it may be you're using your phone to read the Bible and listen to Lectio 365. So bless you if that's the case. But I I suspect many of us, it may be TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and whatever. So it's just thinking about what we're being formed by. And why do I mention that? Because these disciples here were meeting together every day. They were worshipping and praying together every day. And they weren't distracted by 22 hours on their phones. 
It was an absolute priority for them. They had been captured by a greater love. A few months ago, I heard a story, a man preaching in the USA. So this is not my story. This is totally stolen, but it hit me like a train. In Greek mythology, Ulysses had to cross the sea and sail past the island of Sirens. Now, um, whenever the ship passed this island with the sirens on, the sirens began to sing. And it was the most beautiful song that people had ever heard. And so what happened was sailors, um, beautiful women, beautiful song, what do they do? They head over to the island, only to discover uh, it's a trap, because they don't find beautiful women, uh, but horrific monsters that eat them alive. Okay? I mean, stupid men. But, you know, it's what we do. When Ulysses crosses the sea, he decides that he needs to get past the island. So what he does is he puts wax in the sailors' ears so they cannot hear the siren song. But Ulysses wants to hear the song of the siren. So what he does is he gets himself, he puts himself on the central mast and he gets them to tie him up and says, whatever I say, don't let me go. We are not going to the sirens. I don't want to be caught in the trap and be killed by the nasty monsters. And so what they do is um, they listen to him the guys have got wax in their ear. He's, he's kind of um, tied to the mast, and so they get past the island. Now, they get past the island because of external shackles, not because of heart change. And that's how many Christians seek to live in the way of Jesus. It's external shackles that stop us from doing stuff, not because we've had our heart changed. There's another character that wants to go past the island. I mean, surely there must have been a better way to get past there, but in Greek mythology, they had to go past this island. So Jason and these Argonauts need to get past, but he doesn't tie himself down. He hires a guy called Orpheus to travel with him on the ship, and Orpheus was an incredible musician. In fact, he was the greatest musician in the world. And so as they pass the Siren Island, Orpheus begin, he, they begin to hear the song, and, 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 and uh, Jason says, you need to play now. And so Orpheus begins to play the song. And of course, Orpheus' song is more beautiful than the song of the sirens. And so they're not tempted to go to the island, and they make it past. Ulysses and Jason and their crew both make it past the sirens. But one does it from the heart, because his heart has been captured by a more beautiful song. And friends, we have the most beautiful song ever written in the history of humanity. That is the beauty of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And of course, the danger is we are being formed by a different song. But as we meet together in community, we worship Jesus. We read his word. We pray. God transforms us from the inside and our hearts are captured by a more beautiful song. What else did they do? These people, they met together, they ate together. Now I think there's two things going on here. One is communion, breaking of bread. The Lord's Supper, whatever language you want to use about it. I mean, Christians have fallen out over this. It's, it's ironic, isn't it? The meal that Jesus wanted to bring us together, we've fallen out over over the last 2,000 years because some call it Mass and some call it Communion and some call it the Lord's Supper. And, you know, we could go on and on and on. So I think that's happening there. But also, they literally ate together. And I think in the early church, those two things were not as separate as we would make them today. So the kind of breaking of bread, the communion and eating together. And it just sounds so mundane, doesn't it? But of course, they were just following in the way of Jesus. This is the one who ate with tax collectors and sinners. 
This is the one who ate with Pharisees, went to the Pharisee's house and ate meals with him. And of course, as we eat together, we converse together. We begin to do life together. And it changes us and we become community. Now, I'm sure it's not the case at Cornerstone. But at St. Francis, I regularly meet with people who are part of our congregation. And we get talking about different things and um, they share stuff. And one of the questions I often ask them, I, I, I say things like, who are your friends at St. Francis? And not to our shame, because we don't do shame. Jesus carried that on the cross. But one of, one of the things that saddens me is that often they'll say, well, I, I know these people, but I don't really have any friends. And Nicky Gumbel, again, says people aren't looking for a friendly church. They're looking for a place to make friends. People aren't looking for a friendly church. They're looking for a place to make friends. And I think what we see here in Acts chapter 2 is as we eat together, we, we build friendships. Like We build relationship together. We, you know, there are other ways to do it, but eating together is just so helpful. And as, church, as a church leader, one of my challenges is I cannot force friendship. I mean, we hate those forced social things. Don't we? You, you, you've got to become... We just can't do that. All we can do is we can hold out an opportunity. We can say, look, we're going to have a pub night. We're going to have a football evening. We're going to do chatty crafters. We're going to have a picnic. We're going to have a barbecue. We're going to have a silent disco. Whatever it is that we're doing, we're going to put some stuff on, but somehow friendships need to form. And of course, it's not just the church things. Actually, it's about me encouraging you to call somebody up for coffee, to go for a beer. And the problem is, I know that some of us are sitting there going, yeah, but they don't want to hang out with me. Andy, you don't know me. Like, they don't want to know me. I, I, I'm not like them. Like, I'm different from them. And yet, it may well be that they're sitting in their house on a Wednesday evening going, yeah, but nobody, nobody wants to speak to me. And I want to encourage you, particularly those of us who are perhaps shyer or um, you know, wrestling with, with insecurity, be the person that steps out. Don't be the person to wait for the invite. Be the person that steps out and say, can we eat together? I'd love to just you know, go for a coffee with you. A few years ago, I was at um, a conference, and, and, and the, the person speaking spoke about C.S. Lewis. And he spoke about the inner ring, the idea that all of us want to get to the center of the community. I don't know if you've ever, you know, whatever group it is, whether it's the football team or whether it's, um, you know, uh, you know, mums at the school gate or whether it's the kind of the, the in-group at the office or the in-group at school. All of us want to get to the center and be the cool kids. And the guy that was speaking said, actually, for Christians, if we know Jesus, there is a ring at the center, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And be, if we're in Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in us and he has brought us into the center already we don't need to strive to be in the middle because we are already in there and that means that we don't have to turn our focus into the middle of the center but we can turn around and look at those who are on the edge and go do you want to do you want to come in do you want to come and play do you want to come for coffee do you want to come for a beer because actually we know we're already at the center so we can turn outwards and bring other people in At churches, we've often got teams, haven't we, that do things. Teams that do sound. Teams that lead worship. Teams that preach. Teams that do kids' stuff. 
doing stuff together is a great place to get to know one another. And I know churches, church leaders can burn people out going, do you want to join this team and 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 this team? This team and this team and this team and this team. And before you know it, you're doing something seven days a week, 24 hours a day for church, plus you've got to fit in your work and everything else. So, you know, be balanced with it. But actually, if you're not on team at Cornerstone, can I encourage you to find a place that God may be calling you to serve? And it doesn't matter even if you know Jesus or not. If you love Cornerstone, you can stand at the door and welcome people in and say, welcome. Like we've got people that stand on our door. They're not followers of Jesus. They wouldn't say that they are. But they can smile at people and welcome people in. Because if, you, if you're part of the community, you can still do that. And all of those things are important. I read this story that at the age of 33, Barbara Clapham came to live in London. And she decided that she was going to look for a church. One Sunday morning, she arrived at Holy Trinity Brompton. And the young woman who was welcoming people at the door smiled at her and asked her name. Barbara, she said. And because of that smile, she decided to go back the following week. And when the person at the door saw her and said, welcome Barbara, she could not believe that this lady remembered her name. And because that lady remembered her name, she decided she was going to go back every week. And that was in 1947. And from then on, Barbara came to church almost every Sunday until she died celebrating her 100th birthday just before. She made a huge impact on the life of Holy Trinity Brompton, including running the finances. But I wonder whether the person that was on the door that smiled and remembered her name on the second week that Barbara showed up knew any of the impact that she would have over the coming decades. Friends, church is community. And even something as simple as remembering a name and a smile may have ripples that echo out into eternity. So don't put yourself down and say, oh, I just do the kids' work. Oh, I just stand on the door and welcome people. It changes lives. Like, it really changes lives. And coming back to eating together. I remember my vicar uh, at the church I was at previously, going back, Welling, the one I grew up in, the one where we moved on to this state. He did a sermon on eating together. And you know he did? He pulled out a bag of pasta, a jar of dolmio, and a bag of grated cheese. And he said, do you know what? It's as easy as that. This is not come dine with me. We're not going to be doing scores at the end of it. The aim is relationship. And the eating is helpful. But lower the standards. Invite somebody over and cook a meal that's you know, nice. But it's not up here. So the next time they invite you over, they don't think, oh my goodness, I've got to do this and this and this and this. And what am I going to do for the entertainment? I mean, just lower the standards. Do community. Eat together. So, we've got the up, which we looked at last night. We've got the out that we looked at earlier. And we've got the in, which is what we see here in the end of Acts chapter 2. And Cornerstone, I want to challenge you. Think about your notices. Think about what you do as a church. Do they fall roughly equally into up, in, and out? Because the thing is, as a church, we can, if we're only up, we may have loads of prayer meetings and loads of Bible studies, but we don't really get to know each other. Or we can have loads of socials, but actually we don't really connect with Jesus. Or we can have loads of things getting out there into the community, but we're not really reminding them about Jesus and we're not really getting to know each other. So actually up, in and out are really important, all three of them together. 
But as we come to a close, I want to remind you, this is not something you stir up within yourself. This is a response to the love of God, shown for us fully and finally in the person of Jesus. All that we do is response. It's never earned. It's not deserved. It's received. It's not achieved. Because the danger is you could go away from this one and go, well, Andy told me to do this and this and this and this and this. No, no. Come to Jesus. Let him lead you into up, into in, and into out.